This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. This is episode four. And if you're a regular listener to the show, you probably realize that I am not Aidan McCullen. Aidan's away on business this week. So in order to keep the show on the road, I am the guest host. My name is Dave Winterlich. And today I'm joined in studio in the hot seat by Dave Lenny, who is head of new product development at Dentsu Aegis Network. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Today, we're going to talk about something really interesting. It's exciting and frightening for me in equal measures, I think. And over the last few weeks, we've talked about the future of long-term brand building. And we've looked to more future-facing things like esports as a trend and connected homes and voice search. And today is very much along those lines. So it's quite a meaty topic, but it's one, as I say, that is very exciting for me. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence and machine learning in marketing. And Dave, you wrote a great article today in the Irish Times. I recommend for people listening, check it out. But let's kick off just to put some context on it. What do we mean by artificial intelligence? So Dave, I've been working with you alongside you and Densu Aegis for the past five years. And it's a long time. And I think it's safe to say that actually we've seen um, artificial intelligence kind of alter and change much of the work that we do in our agency. But really, if you were to ask, you know, 100 different AI scientists or 100 different people, what is artificial intelligence? I think you're most likely to get back 100 different answers. And the reason for that is because intelligence by its very nature is multifaceted. And when we think about intelligence, we can think about a whole host of different things, such as, you know, a capacity for logic, emotional intelligence, you know, our ability to empathize, to understand how somebody's feeling, creative intelligence, so design, ergonomics, even in the workplace, even things like existential intelligence, which is something that we probably ponder an awful lot in Dentsu, asking, what are we doing here and what is our purpose? Literally, <laughs> what are we doing here, Dave? Um, but I think the, the simplest way to define artificial intelligence is really just to think about it as, a, as programming a computer to perform a task usually associated with uh, human intelligence. And more specifically in, in marketing or media agencies, we tend to refer to a subset of artificial intelligence, which is machine learning applications, which is allowing basically the computer system to automatically learn and improve from experience without necessarily needing to be explicitly programmed. And a lot of our kind of buying and, and work that we do uh, across different platforms today in media involves machine learning applications. You mentioned machine learning capabilities uh, out there and quite a few times in the article. And one as aspect of that is recommendation engines and you know the ability of the large tech companies such as Spotify, Amazon or Netflix to best able to understand from my past listening or buying behaviors or watching behaviors what things I'll be interested in. Now, to me, that, am I right in saying that is artificial intelligence? Um, it seems quite basic to me. But the question is, I suppose, is how sophisticated are these algorithms and am I not giving it justice for what's really going on here? It's artificial intelligence, but what type of complexity is going on behind the scenes here that I, I'm probably not understanding? So if we think about Netflix, they are a content platform that houses thousands of movies, thousands of documentaries, TV series, and you as a consumer, when you log in, it would be almost impossible for you to kind of work through that catalog mm -hmm. of all of that content and start selecting the 
you know, the, the TV show or the film that you wanted to watch. What they've done is they've built a, a content recommendation engine, not just based on your past viewing habits, but what they've done is they've taken all of their content and they've tagged it with thousands of, of what we call tags. So they've divided the content uh, into subgenres. They've tagged it by famous actors, by directors, if it's won any Oscars, things like that. And what they're then able to do is look at the viewing habits across thousands, if not millions of accounts and understand what it is that you would be most interested in. Now, what's even actually more exciting, um, they actually also specialize or they use what we call creative intelligence. So the product team at Netflix are very aware that when a user logs on or a customer onto their platform, they've got a 90 second window from which to gauge their audience and entice them into a piece of content. And if they kind of miss that 90 second window, then the likelihood is you'll actually leave the platform, go off and do something else. And so what they're doing is they're using their creative, they're showing you the best optimal piece of creative for that piece of content. But then they're also then using it kind of in ways that you might not fully be aware of. So obviously one of the kind of the core KPIs of the marketing team at Netflix is to sign up new accounts all the time. One of the things that they're particularly challenged with is people using the same login, um, which, you know, is it's kind of a huge cost to them. So what they're doing is they're working with a company called Syn, Syn, uh, Syn Media, which is a software-based company in the UK that are allowing them to look at, using machine learning, behavioral analytics to help understand account, account activities. So if, for instance, they are seeing kind of any fraudulent activity, they're not just actually kind of necessarily calling out those users, but they're actually trying to entice them to become full subscribers to the platform. In terms of other artificial intelligence, we've seen things like chatbots that are FAQs and removing that, automating that type of thing. But increasingly, and I think, which is really interesting, we've seen machines doing more invert, inverted commas here, creative things, shall we say. So Books have been written by machines in the last two years. We've seen a couple of short films that have been created entirely by machines and even music. There's a, a, a song called Daddy's Car, which I'd urge listeners to check out just to see what that sounds like. Um, closer to home, last year, Lexus came out with a TV campaign that was entirely created by machine. Now, this is quite an interesting debate for me because whether this is actually creative or not is a is a huge um, debate. And personally, I don't know, I, th I think if you feed a machine with lots of stimulus and input and all the raw materials and it jumbles them together, is that really creative? So I guess my question is, can machines really possess any kind of creative intelligence? Well, artificial intelligence is breaking new creativity ground all of the time. Um, I loved reading an article in the Guardian newspaper a couple of months ago where a collective art group in France called Obvious, sold a piece of AI art for just short of half a million dollars. And what I loved about it is it caused outrage among AI artists because Obvious had used a, an algorithm that was designed back in 2015. And a lot of the AI artists felt actually the human level of input meant that really it wasn't worth the money that it's sold for. Um, and there are kind of artists kind of working in the creative space. Uh, Mario Klingman would be kind of one person who's quite prominent. He's a, kind of exhibited a lot of his work in New York and Paris. And he argues that actually humans aren't in, 
aren't creatively intelligent at all. And he argues the reason for that is because we only reinvent and make connections between things we have seen. So a lot of our artwork is based on past experience, influenced by other artists or based on reference points that you've seen or, or an, another creative concept that you're just reinterpreting. Um, and so that's kind, of, that's kind of fascinating. We are seeing a lot more artificial intelligence being used for creativity. And I think we're going to talk about some of the projects that we're doing at Dense in a few minutes. But it really, if I was a creative art director, I wouldn't necessarily be afraid or shunning this technology. I'd be looking at how can you use it to extend your creative output, maybe explore new creative avenues that you haven't yet thought about. One of the limitations, I guess, that, it, that is, is placed upon machine learning is that it's actually incapable of, of what we would call breakthrough thinking. So, for example, if you task a machine with the task of making diesel engines cleaner and more efficient, it will iterate and reiterate and reiterate and eventually reduce those emissions down. But it's never going to come up with an electric car. Um, and when we talk about creativity, to continue our movie reference, arguably something like Psycho, uh, back in its day, Hitchcock was a genius. So the pattern before had been monsters were vampires and werewolves and that. And a machine would never have come up with Psycho because the monster was your next door neighbor. That's a bit I struggle with in terms of breakthrough thinking. So if the machine requires so much coding and input as stimulus, surely the answer can't be intelligent. Dave, how can you tell me that a machine is capable of original thought? I just don't buy it. In the article, again, I reference AlphaGo, which is an example of where we are seeing machines being completely original. And Go is an ancient Chinese board game where you've got two opponents that are looking to win essentially all of the different pieces on the board. And what was so fascinating about watching this program play the game is that the fact that it had no set logic or strategy, but a lot of the other world-leading Go players talked about the machine being majestic in its maneuvering around the board and completely original. Um, so one even described it as being beautiful, which I thought was kind of a very insightful way of putting it. Um, but again, I think a lot of the time when we think about AI technology um, being original, it gets confused or it gets misused as a term. So it's certainly not a computer programmer that is redeveloping that software or, you know, refining it, improving it. It is a case where the the technology or the system is able to to build either from previous past learnings or is given the, the space of the capacity to extend its originality. I think we've all seen it in the movies. And the danger is when we hear the term AI and, and things that, that we've seen portrayed in movies and that kind of thing, we have a tendency to think about this bleak dystopian future. And that's scary. But in reality, like, are, are these fears found in any kind of fact? Should we be worried about the future? Back in 2015, there was a, a world summit for all of the leading AI scientists and developers in Puerto Rico. Um, so you had a lot of kind of key people from across a lot of the large tech companies to talk about AI and its implications for the future. One of the key, I guess, consensus or agreements that they came to is that there needs to be more governance around artificial intelligence. Um, that's something that, they're, that they've certainly called for. But, um, and I think even in the last couple of weeks, there was announcements that the highest levels of the German and French governments were meeting in Toulouse 
to talk about automation and AI and what it's going to mean for, you know, for people uh, working in various industries in the future. A lot of the time when we think about AI, we're kind of, we see super intelligence or these AI agents in movies. If you're really interested to kind of understand some of the different theories or held beliefs of what will actually happen in the future, and we're not talking about, you know, thousands of years, there's a lot of kind of agreement or consensus within the AI community that really by 2060, we're going to see general artificial intelligence. So quite sophisticated artificial intelligence. But Max Tegmark's book, Life 3.0, Being Human in the Age of Artificial Intelligence, actually gives us a couple of examples of what might happen in the future. One of the key scenarios that may happen would be a libertarian utopia where we have humans, cyborgs, so humans with different machine-based organs and other super intelligence living peacefully, coexisting. He draws another scenario of a protector god, essentially where AI maximizes all human happiness and intervenes only when it's for the purpose of good and to extend that happiness. But for the most part, it's kind of invisible. We don't really see it in our day-to-day -day lives. Right. So that's not filling me with a huge amount of confidence, Dave. And I feel we could be going down an Elon Musk type rabbit hole here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it back and say it, it's clearly it's more prevalent than, than we think it is at the moment. So in terms of your, your role in Dentsu, can you give me a bit of insight in terms of how we're using it, not in terms of building robots, but every day today in the media and for clients and who's doing what locally here? Last year, we launched an artificial AI program to promote the top trending travel destinations for Aer Lingus across um, seven European markets. So Aer Lingus have hundreds of route variations. And what our technology was doing was basically prioritizing in our media buying platforms, the routes that we're performing and hitting our target CPA. So effectively, very cost effective for us to promote. And anything that wasn't actually hitting that that, that, that CPA target was deprioritized using various different machine learning applications in our, in our platforms. And we'd also kind of used really nice imagery of landscapes and landmarks, food images, nightlife images, and we're allowing the, the algorithm to optimize towards the best iterations of those ads for each destination. We're dealing with hundreds of routes. We're dealing with seven different markets. It would have taken a team of 20 people to activate everything manually, but artificial intelligence and automation has allowed us to be far cleverer and more strategic in our, in our execution. We talk quite a lot probably about the Googles and Facebooks and the walled gardens across these podcasts over a number of weeks. Have we the capability to optimize across both of those platforms or do we does machine learning just sit within so we can optimize facebook within facebook and google within google but not at a macro level where are we at in terms of that what you're actually referring to is programmatic advertising and one of the kind of the promises of programmatic advertising is not just about kind of audience or data buying but really that we could solidate as much of our media channels and key partners into one platform, which would really simplify a lot of our work in the agency. Because at the moment, you know, we use different platforms. Um, so that was really the promise of the, of the DSP. And 
when we think about kind of some of that consolidation, we were looking kind of to consolidate not just a spare video. I don't even know if we can call it them traditional mm -hmm. digital channels, but also kind of incorporating connected TV and digital out of home. And what we would then use is a client's first party data to layer on. Unfortunately, that hasn't quite panned out the way that we would have hoped. In the future, we would hope um, that we would certainly be able to use single pieces of technology to, to buy across all media channels. The only other upside for this for the, for the agency is the fact that our planning tools have had to be more proficient and smarter. M1, which was uh, our big acquisition a couple of years ago, allows us to kind of size up the audiences across all these kind of key technology and media providers so that we can, we've got more streamlined planning. I'll get into the bit which, which personally is a little bit scary for me. If we think about the capabilities, so automation means fewer people doing manual labor um, and AI is certainly going to outperform humans at that task oriented um, layer. So I guess my question is, what does that mean for an agency? We're both agency people. Are we ultimately signing our own death warrant here with, with this technology? And when we think about the impact it might have, will you see agencies downsize in the future? Will you see the role of an agency change so that they're less involved at that kind of lower funnel execution layer and more as strategic consultants? And I guess ultimately, if you, if you take that to the nth degree, why wouldn't a client just buy this tech themselves and say, good luck, don't need an agency? Are we doing ourselves out of a job here, Dave? Or We both work in a media agency, and I think it's fair to say anybody that's worked in a media agency will tell you that they're quite chaotic places. There is an awful lot going on from, you know, you're activating campaigns across different channels. You've got evolving media KPIs, mm -hmm. buying systems, different formats, all adding to that kind of increased complexity. When I go back and I think about one of my first roles in media buying was literally setting up hundreds and hundreds of campaigns. I was working in London, working across clients such as Paddy Power and EasyJet. I would have loved if there had been a technology that would have recognized and called out and said, Dave, you've set up literally 100 of these campaigns this week. It's taken you 20 hours. Would you like some assistance? Would you like us to complete some of this work? And here's how about we go about automating it. I mean, that would have made my life so much more pleasant and also freed up my time to kind of work and align our media buying objectives to the client's business goals. I think a lot of the repetitive tasks, the heavy admin, are going to be reduced. And I really welcome that. And I think most people working in an agency would welcome that. I also think the type of roles that we're going to be doing at agencies are going to shift. So, you know, at the moment, perhaps we do quite a lot of kind of planning and ad ops. And, you know, it takes up a lot of kind of admin. You're dealing with a lot of different suppliers. I think we're going to kind of moving towards more technology strategists, so kind of roles that where people are kind of understand how different pieces of technology kind of connect together. Technology salespeople, so being able to go in and actually sell a technology solution in 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 tandem with a with with a, with a tech company. And also data experts. So how do we activate audience more efficiently? How do we kind of improve our media buying performance? And so really the onus is on people in the agency to upskill, but also leadership and management to provide those opportunities so people can go and upskill. So the agency's role may change, but you don't fundamentally see them being disintermediated. Just before we wrap up, you mentioned there about the new 
planner, I guess. And I think historically, maybe in the last 10 years, we've had offline planners and, and media planners type of thing. And then we've had digital specialists and perform. And, th and those two streams, those kind of two things have ran in tandem. And I guess the great planners of the future will, will bring a mix of that to people who understand brand strategy, can understand top of funnel, but at the same time, understand how the bottom of the funnel works. Um, and that's probably two different skills. A question I have for you is the industry changes quite a lot. We know that we, we live and breathe it every day. When we see the pipeline of talent coming through from educational systems and college, that kind of thing, does the syllabus need to change? Are we doing enough at that technology level? Yes, I think a lot of the time, you know, marketing as it's taught at university level is about branding, product positioning, audience segmentation, budget allocation. But really, marketing is kind of advanced quite some way from that. I'd love to see kind of at the university level, you know, maybe more um, skill sets around e-commerce marketing. So being able to understand what CRO is or being able to understand how inventory management platforms work. That's highly critical, you know, in, in many marketing departments today. Also things like professional selling of technology or something like an introduction to CRM management systems. All of those types of modules on a, on a university course would be really beneficial. I think the danger is when we look at any future-facing things that we get it horribly wrong. Uh, we mentioned film a lot. And interestingly, Blade Runner in 1982 was actually set in November 2019. So it's now. And while they got things like voice assistants right, we don't quite have flying cars or, or human robots wandering around uh, mingling in with us at the moment. So do you think some of the stuff we've talked about here, your article in the Irish Times, do you think that we'll look back on this and go, Wow, that was complete nonsense and none of that happened. Yeah, quite possibly. Well, I did find uh, a piece on the Irish Times dating back to 1996, so it's 23 years old. And the unlisted author was talking about artificial intelligence and really could a machine ever think like a human. And the author looked at various kind of various different tests, but most notably looked at the Turing test which is really a machine could be considered as intelligent as a human if it's able to fool the human into thinking it is human. We have already kind of surpassed a lot of those kind of key milestones. So that was something that was kind of definitely within my conscience. Also the fact that, you know, this will end up in the Irish Times Digital Archive. And I'm very kind of aware that in 23 years time, somebody's probably going to be looking back and probably say, God, those Egypts did not know what they were talking about. But I don't think that this is a trend that's going to go away. I think we're definitely going to see a, a lot more of it in our day-to-day -day work in marketing and advertising. My only kind of lasting hope would be that the technology will be used for good. And I hope it doesn't kill the agency business anytime soon. So I'm going to thank Dave Lenny for joining me today. Thank Shane in Collaborative Studios and say thanks to everybody for listening. Next week, we'll be talking about the future of publishing and Aidan will be back. Thanks for listening.